All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. It's good to see you here this week. And uh, I'm pretty excited uh, to continue in our, our uh, Spiritual Disciplines series, Imprint 2022. This is week number 13, I believe. Let's, I'll get back to you here. Yes, week 13. This is the second week in our Submission and Service Suite. Last week, we talked about submission as the, the spiritual discipline of submission and as promised this week we're going to talk about service how do we serve as a spiritual discipline uh, i mentioned last week that uh, of the spiritual disciplines there's some that are pretty exciting people get motivated about people want to kind of push to the front their progress in certain uh, spiritual disciplines like simplicity uh, prayer fasting scripture study and meditation but not too many people brag about <laughs> submission or service. Uh, as you know, we have a YouTube channel. We, we upload our videos from Sunday onto YouTube, and uh, I can kind of see how many views each week's gotten. And you know, like, we're in the, I mean, we're not, we're not a, we're not viral, I guess what you'd say. I mean, like a good week is like when 12 people watch our video, you know. Well, I checked how many people watched the one about submission, and it set a new record for the fewest views of all. <laughs> Two. One of those might have been me, just to make sure it was uploaded correctly. But yeah, because it doesn't have the curve appeal. No one gets that jazzed about like, man, i got to find a way to submit for God's glory today. Let me find a way to serve. Uh, well, but if we miss this, like we said last week, if we miss this, though, we miss everything. Because if we say we're following after Jesus, and He's the one who washed feet. He's the one who hung on a cross. I mean, He was the highest picture of submission. Submission to God's will in the world. So if we're following Him, we must also submit, we must also serve. If we miss that, we miss everything. I want to start off by uh, reading you a want ad that came out in the Kingdom Times newspaper just this week. Not really, it's in this book. Wanted. Gifted volunteers for difficult service in the local expression of the Kingdom of God. Motivation to serve should be obedience to God, gratitude, gladness, forgiveness, humility, and love. Service will rarely be glorious. Temptation to quit place of service will sometimes be strong. Volunteers must be faithful in spite of long hours, little or no visible results, and possibly no recognition except from God in eternity. Imagine that's the want ad that we have all to one degree or another responded to. We're called to serve in the kingdom. We're not called always to serve in glamorous or visible ways. Nonetheless, we are called to serve, even if God is the only audience to your faithful service. I mean, we all agree, yeah, we get that, but that's tough, isn't it? I mean, it's good to have somebody come alongside and pat you in the back and like say, hey, great, you've done a good job. The kingdom is better off because of your faithful service. I mean, that happens sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it really eats away at you. The temptation to quit your place of service will sometimes be very strong. Maybe you've been there. And I want to encourage you to continue on because God notices and God is glorified as you practice this spiritual discipline of service. So, uh, one thing I've noticed in the life of faith, uh, in the Christian life, there's a quite a bit of a, of a cause, and effect, uh, cause and effect dynamic. There's a cause and effect dynamic. The whole gospel enterprise seems to turn on it. 
Because God, here's some examples. Because God loved us and sent Jesus, all those who believe in him are saved. Okay, you see that cause and effect? Because God loved us and sent Jesus, all those who now respond by believing in him are saved. Something happens because of what God did. Because you are saved through faith in Jesus, you have become and are becoming God's masterpiece in the world. You are ordained to do good works, the good works for which you were made. Okay, you see this? Because God did this thing, we're doing this thing. Because God has provided this thing, we're experiencing the reality of this thing. Likewise, when we, when we genuinely worship God, we are then inclined to serve. If we're genuinely worshiping God, we are then inclined to serve. When we faithfully serve, then, we are prepared, more prepared, to actually worship God. A little bit of symbiotic relationship there. So here's our big idea for today. Worship empowers serving, and serving expresses worship. Okay, it kind of leads back into itself. Worship empowers serving, and serving expresses worship. Does that make sense? The more we worship, the more we desire to honor God in service, the more we actually serve faithfully, the more inclined we are to express worship back to God. Christ-likeness requires a disciplined balance between the two, worship and service. A.W. Tozer said once, Fellowship with God leads straight to obedience in good works. That is the divine order, and it can never be reversed. Fellowship with God leads straight to obedience and good works. That is the divine order, and it can never be reversed. What he's saying there is those who serve, those who do good works without regular worship, worship both personal and congregational, they are serving inevitably in their own flesh and under their own power. The, but here's the thing. The work of service is too hard to do faithfully without the power of the Holy Spirit given to us through ongoing worship. Worship becomes a source of energy, a source of motivation, a source of endurance for us. So if we're not worshiping, doing the, the hard work of service will be too much. One true measure of the authenticity of your worship. Here's a, here's a, here's a true measure of the authenticity of your worship. Does our worship of God result in a deepening desire to serve God and others? Okay, how can you tell if you're worshiping and honoring God is, is real, if it's authentic? Is it giving rise in you to a deepening desire to serve God and to serve others, to see others blessed as a result of your worship? Tozer goes on to say, No one can long worship God in spirit and in truth before the obligation to holy service becomes too strong to resist. So good. No one can long worship God in spirit and in truth before the obligation to holy service becomes too strong to resist. So, to be like Jesus Christ, we must discipline ourselves in both worship and service. And I would say that with emphasis because I think a lot of times in the church we don't see them as connected. And oftentimes we're all about coming and worshiping, but very low, they're very slow to invest ourselves in actual service both inside the fellowship and out in the community. We don't see them as necessarily combined. Um, but to be like Jesus, we must discipline ourselves in both worship and service. We must, uh, because to, to engage in one without the other is, is to ultimately experience neither. Is that too strong? If we're not serving faithfully, our worship is kind of worthless. 
And if we're worshiping faithfully, but we're not serving, likewise, it's undermining the other. So to engage in one without the other is to ultimately experience neither or neither. Authentic encounters with God lead to true devotion and true service. Do you believe me on that? Well, we could survey Scripture all morning long, but I want to just point out two stories from Scripture that kind of, that kind of illustrate this dynamic. A, an encounter with God and the response being like, I'll serve. I will invest my life in glorifying you in the time I'm given, in the place you've sent me. Uh, look at uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. It's a classic passage, but it's uh, about Isaiah's calling. He has a vision of the, God's glory filling the temple. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, In the year King Uzziah died, it was in the year the King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sin is forgiven. Verse 8. Then I heard the Lord saying, or asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. I think it's telling that <coughs> Isaiah's vision of his encounter with the glory of God in the throne room of God, he's cleansed of his sin, of his iniquity by the coal touching his lips, and then he hears God say, who will go for us? Who, who can we send? And his urge, his, his irrepressible urge in that moment is like, oh, pick me. Pick me. I'll go. I'll go. Uh, look also at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. This is a... Uh, uh, what did I say? 26 through 38. Yeah, okay, some of you might uh, be rating, raising a point of order that this isn't Christmas time, but it is still legal. It is allowed to read this story when it's not Christmas, so it's Christmas in August. Okay. In the sixth month, 1, uh, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, Well, how can this be? How can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. You see what's happening there? She has this direct encounter with the messenger of God. An overwhelming message is dropped on her. I mean, culturally, 
for a young unmarried woman in that culture, that was risky. She was extremely vulnerable. Yet she hears, believes, and says, I am your servant. May everything you've said come true. Wow. So, understanding the balance between worship and service is relatively easy. However, living that balance out in our Christian life, it can be difficult for at least two reasons. There's probably more than these reasons, but here's two. There's one external reason that makes this difficult, living out worship and service, and then one internal reason uh, why living out worship and service balance is difficult. Uh, the external reason is this, other people. <laughs> they say ministry would be the perfect job if it wasn't for the people. Uh, have you ever heard that before? Like being a pastor would be worry-free and it'd be carefree if it wasn't for all these people that we had to deal with, uh, right? But your job is like that too, teaching. <laughs> teaching would be easy street if it wasn't for all these students and parents, right? Uh, yeah, other people make it hard. Serving God is hard work because it often means serving people, <laughs> period, <laughs> hard stop. <laughs> We're, serving God is hard work because it often means serving people who are foolish, ungrateful, annoying, and sometimes uh, very undeserving. You know, they seem so undeserving. Why would I have to serve them? It just goes against our, 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 uh, our, our senses. Sometimes it's offensive to us that we'd have to serve this person who has no appreciation for what's being done for them, blah, blah, blah. So we just back off like, well, God clearly doesn't want me to serve that jerk, you know. So other people sometimes make it really difficult to actually faithfully serve to serve God by serving others. Sometimes it's the people. But then there's an internal reason too. Our flesh. There's stuff inside of us that makes it really hard to serve faithfully. Our own fallen nature inherently, instinctively almost, rebels against serving without being noticed. Have you run into this before? Serving in obscurity? We would almost rather eat hair then serve unnoticed, right? Uh, our fallen nature rebels against hiddenness and sameness. We love to be noticed. We love challenge and adventure. To serve without acclaim, to serve without allure or variety, it battles against our motives. It confronts our need to feel valued and affirmed, and it runs up against our pride. Man, confession, that's me. That's me. Yeah, I mean, I run into times where it's hard to serve someone who's un ungrateful, un unfriendly, whatever. But oftentimes it's the stuff inside of me that keeps me from serving, serving well and serving faithfully as, as I desire to worship God. Donald Whitney, he nails it here. <laughs> Whitney, man. He says, although Christ's call to service is the most spiritually grand and noble way to live a life, it is typically as pedestrian as washing someone's feet. Ugh. It's like Jesus didn't show us that, right? Jesus didn't actually do that. I mean, he's just like, oh, man, why didn't he pick something a little bit better? You know, it's like Jesus in the upper room, you know, takes off his whatever and like says, all right, hop in, I'll give you a ride somewhere. Or um, I'll give you 20 bucks for groceries. No, he actually washes their dirty, stinky feet, taking on the most ignoble, uh, wretched position. The lowest of the servants would be the one in charge of washing the feet, right? Um, and this is the one Jesus says, as I have done, do likewise. 
Although Christ's call to service is the most spiritually grand and noble way to live a life, it is typically as pedestrian as washing someone's feet. And then Richard Foster comes along and chimes in. He says, in some ways, we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother, houses and land for the sake of the gospel than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure, but in service, we are banished to the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. And that drives us crazy. So, as I mentioned, there's this like uh, cause and effect, but I want to spend a few moments here kind of highlighting the study and contrast that comes in the life with Christ, okay? Uh, the lived tension we find in ourselves often between what I call self-centered service and God-centered service. I'm going to draw a parallel here in, in many different areas here on how we can diagnose in us, is my desire to serve, is it self-centered or is it God-centered? Maybe this will be helpful to kind of bring this into focus, okay? Let's start with this one. Self-centered service comes through human effort. Okay, self-centered service comes through human effort. God-centered service is fueled by a relationship with God Himself. We look to God and, and that becomes the fuel that drives us to serve. Okay, self-centered service is impressed with the task of highest value. Self-centered service is impressed with the task of highest value. But God-centered service doesn't distinguish between small and large tasks. The important part is that we serve well, whatever we're given, whatever we're told to do. Self-centered service requires external rewards and recognition. But God-centered service rests content in hiddenness and obscurity. What's happening here is we're having to search our motives, right? We're having to actually uh, acknowledge and diagnose some things inside of us, and that's hard. Self-centered service is highly concerned with results. But God-centered service is free from the need to measure the outcomes. We serve without even knowing the outcomes sometimes. Ours is to serve and serve faithfully. Uh, Self-centered service, it picks and chooses who it will serve or whom it will serve. Maddie, help me out. Is that a who or whom? Self-centered service picks and chooses who it will serve or whom it shall serve. Whom it shall serve. It's good to have an English major in the room. God-centered service is indiscriminate. God-centered God service is indiscriminate, blessing both friends and enemies alike. Yeah, when Jesus says, love your enemies, you know how radical that is? How revolutionary that is? Like, yeah, don't just love your family. Don't just love your friends. Even pagans do that. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Holy smokes. Self-centered service is affected by our moods and our whims. God-centered service ministers simply and faithfully. Why? Because there is a need. It's not about how you feel, really about how convenient it is that need exists and there's a door of opportunity for us to serve. Self-centered service is temporary and confined to specific acts and events. God-centered service is a lifestyle, a growing habit of acting on ingrained patterns within the established relationships God has given us. Sometimes you get trapped in trying to find somewhere else or somewhere more exotic or exciting to serve when there's people all around us day in and day out and they're the primary audience for our service. For the glory of God, but these are the ones we are to serve most, most faithfully. 
Self-centered service is insensitive and forced and often based on our own agendas. But God-centered service is attentive. And it can withhold service when necessary, when appropriate. It can withhold service when necessary as well as to perform it even when it's inconvenient. Self-centered service focus, uh, focuses on predetermined outcomes and often manipulates people to serve our own goals. Yeah, I'll serve, but they better, better do my thing. They better do it my way, right? Self-centered service focuses on predetermined outcomes, often manipulates people to serve our goals, but God-centered service glorifies Jesus, builds community, and sets people free to join us in worship and service. So it's always inviting others in. It's always in giving away control, giving away uh, uh, need to determine the outcomes so that others might be a part of it as well. So that study in contrast hopefully helps point out, helps illustrate the difference, how we can kind of diagnose what's going on in our own hearts. Is this self-centered service or is this truly God-centered service? Is it ever going to be purely one and not the other? Well, maybe not. <laughs> but you know, you can keep your finger on the pulse of that. Are you growing in the discipline of service so that you're able to do uh, things more and more motivated by a love for God than a love for self and self-promotion? Worship empowers serving, and serving expresses worship. Christ-likeness requires a disciplined balance between the two. If worship and service are the pistons that drive the life in Christ, what is it then that fires that engine? What is the fuel of the engine uh, in the life in Christ? So if worship and service are the pistons that drive the life in Christ, what is it that fires this engine? In the spiritual discipline of service, there is no fuel that burns longer and hotter than love. Love. At the heart of all this, this life in Christ, we are motivated, driven, and oriented in love. Look at uh, Galatians 5, 13-15. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans uh, 12, 9-13. Paul says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. The fuel that drives this engine of service and worship is love. Read a story one time of a missionary in Africa who was being interviewed, and he was asked if he really liked what he was doing. Hey, I see you serving here in Africa. These are some pretty tough conditions. Do you love what you're doing? Because you imagine missionaries love it. They've got this like strange, almost like uh, remarkable calling to go and do this thing over and over again. Um, but he was asked, "Do you really like what you're doing?" And he said, "Do I do I like my work? No. No, I don't like my work." 
My wife and I, we do not like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ that he does not like? God pity him, if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. <laughs> Love constrains us. There's something being asked and, 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 and said, revealed in this. So many times we, we discern what God is calling us to do or not do based on our liking of it. Will this bring me joy or pleasure? And this missionary is saying, no, this doesn't bring me pleasure. It brings me a certain sort of joy knowing that I'm being faithful to God. And that's really what it comes down to. I get called to do everything, things every day that I don't like doing and I wouldn't choose to do in my own power. But Jesus said go, so I go. The metric, the determining factor can't be whether I like it or not. It's about faithfulness and love constrains us. Worship empowers serving. Serving expresses worship. And Christ-like, Christ-likeness requires a disciplined balance between the two. It comes down to this. To be like Jesus, we must discipline ourselves to serve as He served. Let Jesus be our example in this. I want to close with a story from, uh, that Donald Whitney shares in his book about a guy named Jimmy Small. Maybe you've heard this story. When I, think of faithful, of a, when I think of a faithful willingness to serve, I remember a quiet little man from a church where I was a staff member. On Sundays, his arrival was always unnoticed, for he would come long before anyone else. Yet he burrowed his old car into an obscure corner of the parking lot to leave the best places for others. He unlocked all the doors, got the bulletins, and then waited outside. When you walked up, he'd give you a bulletin and a big smile. But he couldn't talk. He was embarrassed when newcomers asked him questions. Something had happened to his voice long ago. When I met him, he was in his 60s and living alone. When he had car trouble, which was often, he never let anyone know and so would walk more than a mile to the church. Because of his vulnerability, he was robbed and beaten several times. At least twice during the three years I was at that church. Some longtime church members told me they suspected he lost his voice as a result of being beaten years before. He had extensive arthritis, which stooped his shoulders and prevented him from turning his neck. It made hard work of unlocking doors and handing out bulletins, but he was always there, always smiling, and even though he couldn't speak a word, or even though he couldn't speak a word, everything about his life worked to keep him unheralded and in the background. Even his name, Jimmy Small. Yet, despite his drawbacks, setbacks, handicaps, and a plethora of potential excuses, he willingly served God. He served in a disciplined way, which in the sight of God was neither small nor in vain. Whitney goes on to say, The Lord Jesus was always the servant, the servant of all, the servant of servants, the servant. He said, I am among you as the one who serves, Luke twenty two twenty seven. If we are to be like Jesus, we must discipline ourselves to serve as Jesus served. Wanted. Gifted volunteers for difficult service in the local expression of the kingdom of God. Motivation to serve should be obedience to God, gratitude, gladness, forgiveness, 
humility, and love. Service will, be rare, will rarely be glorious. Temptation to quit place of service will sometimes be strong. Volunteers must be faithful in spite of long hours, little or no visible results, and possibly no recognition except from God in eternity. So worship empowers serving. Serving expresses worship. Christ-likeness requires a disciplined balance between the two. You are expected to serve. That's clear. You are expected to serve and you are gifted to serve, but are you willing to serve? Really, that's where the question lies. To serve or not to serve? That is the question. To serve or not to serve, will you do it? Maybe there's ways that you can uh, serve within the fellowship. I know of needs right now that we could use some people faithfully serving. Uh, there's needs in our community. There's needs in the world in which God has placed you, where you could serve faithfully, in obscurity, but daily, and make a difference for someone else, but you could also be glorifying God in that. So where is it? Do you want to be more like Jesus? If so, you must choose today to discipline yourself to serve others as Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for the stunning example of Jesus. The way he turned things upside down. He came as the, as the Messiah, as the, as the one redeeming the world, yet he did it from the bottom up. He, he did it by taking the, 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 the posture of a servant. One who would uh, serve others. Washing their feet. That's remarkable, God. Lord, we can be so prideful. We can set parameters on our willingness and uh, the capacities in which we'll serve because we think that we've earned a certain level of respect or authority or recognition that certain opportunities are just below us. But far be it from us to ever think that way again when we look to Jesus. That Jesus, the one who f crafted, fashioned the world, the one who holds all things in the universe together, the author and the finisher of our faith, our creator and our sustainer, he wraps himself in a, in a towel and washes the feet of his own disciples and then says, do likewise. May the words that we read in Scripture today bring a critique into our hearts. May there no longer be a disconnect, a dissonance between our desire to worship you and our desire to serve. May our church never lack people who are willing to step up and serve in unremarkable ways. May our church be attentive to the opportunities that lie around us, lie before us every day in our work, in our neighborhood, in our schools. Lord, we believe that, that you notice even when no one else does, even when sometimes it's misinterpreted, people question our motives. God, you're the one that, 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 that's our true audience. And God, may you be pleased. God, I pray for my friends here that we would pursue with discipline, with intensity and, and, and intention, with focus, the right balance between worship and service. God, we want to be like Jesus, and so we will worship you and we'll express that through service in our world. We'll serve others. We'll be faithful and that will show up. We'll show up daily, weekly, monthly. 
God, you've got work to do in our hearts, in our minds today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this very room. Bring to mind uh, missed opportunities. Bring to mind potential opportunities. But God, point out those external, those internal uh, barriers we've put up uh, between us and faithfully worshiping you through service. Break those down today, we ask. May this week be the start of something new. A faithful, disciplined balance between worship and service in my life and in the life of my friends. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to worship a bit more, but I think this is an important time for us to sit for a minute or two before we sing. Uh, lay this before the Lord. Search your heart, because I think teaching this brings up conviction in my heart. And maybe it brings up some conviction in your heart. It's like, ah, uh, I've said no to some things that I probably should have said yes to. The reasons I said no were not godly. They were fleshly. It was based more on what I thought of that person, based more on that than on Jesus telling me to go, to serve, to wash feet. So make the most of this time. Sit with the Lord. Be honest. Be in prayer. Be listening. If you'd like to pray with somebody, I'll be at the back and I'd love to pray with you. The important thing is here lies an opportunity. So come close. The Holy Spirit's here. God is attentive. So make the most of this opportunity.